All right, what's going on, y'all? It's Domcast episode 53, and this is going to be a special one where I'm going to talk about wine, one of my passions, one of my favorite things, uh, and something I got into in about 2015. The world of wine is vast, to say the least. Um, it's really hard to pick a spot to start, but I kind of want to make a basic outline for people that are maybe just interested in wine. They like it. They don't know why they like it. They don't know why they might like Chardonnay, or they don't know why, but they only like Malbec, or they've had a Merlot and they liked it. Um, people have always loved wine. Uh, it's been around since basically we've started fermenting any kind of fruit, any kind of wheat to get drunk, essentially. Now, what makes wine different is it it's a very unique grape we use, okay? And my love for wine, I was always a bartender, and I didn't know much about it. I've drank wine here and there, but for the years bartending, I was more into cocktails, liquors, cordials, coming up with fancy drinks or shots, especially when I was younger, trying to come up with weird shots. And then I had the opportunity to open up a Roos Chris Steakhouse in San Antonio, and I got to open up their bar. And behind the bar, I felt extremely comfortable. I knew all the liquors. I knew the whiskeys, the bourbons. I knew all the classic cocktails for making you know, gin fizzes, Manhattans, Boulevardiers, old fashions, sidecars, variations of them. And I remember we were doing a soft opening, which people in the restaurant industry might not know what that means, but a soft opening is essentially where the restaurant runs as a full operating restaurant, but it's free for um, VIP guests, guests, uh, employees, families, and they would come in and Everything would be free and they would just tip. And it was just kind of a way to get the restaurant rolling before we did a grand opening to the public where we make people pay for shit, right? That's what it's all about in the long run. That's why this industry thrives. So I remember being behind the bar and one of my very first customers was an older lady who came up and she asked me for an she 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 came up to me and I remember this specifically too. She goes, "I want a Chardonnay." I go, "Okay," because I knew I had some. I knew at least that white wine Chardonnay connected those two. Old lady, usually old ladies, I would call it cougar juice, and uh, cougar juice is actually a term used in the professional wine world. They might not tell you that, but. Uh, when we get into oak and what oak does to wine, you'll understand why it's cougar juice. Just picture all the people that used to be on the OC that are old right now are probably fucking drinking that in uh, Orange County. But anyway, she came up to me and she goes, uh, I want a Chardonnay. I really cannot stand California oak Chardonnays. I want something un preferably stainless steel. What do you have? And I sat there with all this experience under my belt um, going on to like close to 10 years and at the time, maybe four and a half years behind a bar, uh, five nights a week at least, five to six nights a week behind a bar, and I had no clue what she was talking about. And 
like an idiot instead of asking questions to a manager or someone who knew more than I did. I went out and just picked a wine thinking she was going to drink it regardless. And I poured her a Chardonnay from California that was extremely oaked. And she hated it, asked for another. She goes, this is oaky. And I tried to convince her otherwise, even though I had no clue what I was doing. And I realized this lady knows way more about wine than I do. This is my job. And this isn't hers. She's just drinking it. I need to learn. And that started my path into learning about wine. And I was very lucky at the time to have a manager, my bar manager at the time, who now I also work for at a different establishment, which you all know I work at the Whataburger at the Pearl in San Antonio, Texas, uh, where they need they need sommeliers, and we carry very fine wine at this Whataburger down at the Pearl in San Antonio, Texas. And I work for him now, but this is the very first time I worked for him, and he basically... Uh, started drilling me and started my wine learning process. I was also very fortunate to be surrounded at that time with people that are in distribution of wine, uh, whose job is simply to get accounts to sell wine to, and they make their percentage and their money off their accounts and their routes. And it's a very, very hard job. You need to know how to build wine lists, and you got to know what the people want, and you have to know what trends. There are a lot of steps, a lot of steps from that grape being grown on a vineyard, on a farm, to getting it into a bottle that's on your shelf and eventually into your house and then into a glass. It is it takes many, many people and many, many years to get one bottle. Uh, it's one thing I do appreciate about wine is how hard it is. You can you can brew beer and within a three-month span, you can get beer out. You can get a ton of beer out in a small amount of time. And I have nothing against beer. I have friends that are Cicerones. I don't consider myself a Cicerone. I do know a, a, a lot about beer. Uh, one of my early jobs was Yard House when it was still privately owned, and I had 125 beers on tap, and 25 of those beers rotated every couple of months. So in my time there, which I always appreciate to them teaching me how to taste before I even thought about doing wine, they taught me how to deductive taste beer and how to really pull out notes of beer and that's kind of where wine started making sense. And so I was very, very thankful to have the background knowledge in beer because if I didn't, wine wouldn't make any sense. But we have to start off with the grape because a lot of people, they don't get it. They don't understand. They go, well, I just like white wine. Oh, I just like red wine. Well, you got to understand, if you had a red grape and a white grape and you just peeled the skin and you pressed it, the juice is white. All wine is white wine. The only thing now nowadays they use other they use other techniques, coloring and dye and a bunch of bullshit they shouldn't be that people say, Oh, I drank this bottle and I had the worst hangover. Yeah, because that was 
almost like there's GMOs in a lot of food. People can genetically modify um, wine. It's all in the wine make, making technique. But if you were to squeeze, um, if you were to peel two grapes, one red, one white, the juice would be white. The skin color gives the grape its color. The lighter the skin color of a red grape, the lighter uh, the the color is. The darker and thicker the skin and how many seeds are in it uh, will give you a darker, darker, almost sometimes inky color. And some wine stains like ink. But essentially, it is all white. It is all white wine. And then you have rosés which are kind of in the middle, and that is using usually white wines, and they press it not enough to get all the color out of his skin, but just enough to get the juice out, and some of the colors will come out. Um, when people talk about uh, wine being healthy for you, wine being good for the heart, they're, not, they're talking about really thick skin red grapes. Within grape skin, are what's called polyphenols. And those are the, it's great for your skin, it's great for your heart, but that's really only found in red wine and thick skin grapes, which we can get into later because we have to talk about what grape do we use when we are making wine. So most people think, oh, you just get a grape, you ferment it. There's a specific genus and species. It's called Vitis vinifera. Vitis vinifera is the grape we use to make wine. Now, the grapes we use to make jelly is actually called Vitis lambrusca. And that's going to be your Concord grape. That's what you make jelly with. You could quite possibly make jelly. I mean, you can make jelly with Vitis vinifera, but it would be god-awful. Okay? Vitis vinifera grapes are not ones that you just pick off the vine and just eat and enjoy. Uh, There's a lot that goes into making that. They can be very bitter. They can be very tart. Some can be sweet, but they're not enjoyable. And um, there's a lot that goes into taking that grape and turning it into something delicious. And that's what we're going to get into. So now, Vitis vinifera... There are over 25,000 different names of varietals. But essentially, there's only 5,000 different varietals. Now, out of those, so out of those 5,000 varietals, there's 24,000, 24 to 25,000 different names of the same grape. And this happens, especially in the old world, in Italy and France. And when I refer to the old world, I'm talking Europe. When I refer to the New World, I'm talking essentially everything outside of Europe. So France, which you'd like to call the motherland, some people call the motherland, uh, Italy, and Spain. They all like to call themselves the motherland. Uh, Germany, Austria as well, uh, Portugal, places like that. That's all the Old World. Anywhere else, the U.S., South America, Australia, New Zealand, that's all the New World. And then you can get into what you want to call your hybrid old world, new world, which would be like Japan making sake, Um, other parts, uh, uh, Chinese wine. It that 
that doesn't matter. So Vitis vinifera right now. So out of the 5,000 varietals, though, only 150 are commercially grown. These are going to be the grapes that you see on the shelves, that you see on a wine list, um, what you see on TV, people drinking, and you can even break those down smaller to about 24 main grapes and then your noble grapes. Um, your main grapes for reds at least are going to be your what I call the Bordeaux 5 even though there are 6 but your Cabernet Sauvignon your Cab Franc your Merlot your Malbec and your Petit Verdot now those are going to be most some of those Cab Franc and Petit Verdot are mostly used as blending grapes because some grapes are too powerful some grapes are too weak and they need to have a little oomph in them. So you would add, you would add a, uh, you would balance them out by adding different wines that are lighter and or darker. Or maybe just you want more color, so you get a very inky grape like Petit Verdot, and you just add maybe two percent to your blend, and that's enough to give it enough color. Some people like the color of the wine, and out of these hundred and fifty commercially grown grapes the ones that you see on wine lists those are going to be the ones that most people are going to drink most people are going to talk about and why you needed to know these things it might be for gift giving you might not drink at all but you you might have a friend that likes to drink and a nice bottle of wine is something that has something celebratory attached to it uh, people like to drink wine when they celebrate uh, people like to, if you're out on a date and the, you're at a nice restaurant and the rest, the server or the sommelier, whoever's working the floor, gives you a wine list, you don't want to sit there across from your date and just kind of look at it, not knowing what's going on, and ask for something that you don't like because you don't know what it is. And whoever you're on your date with was 2019. Let's just say you're all fucking binary, all right? All right, male, female, 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 male, male. You're on a date, right? Uh, you don't want to be the guy who sits there at a wine list and doesn't know what's going on. You want to be able to ask your date, hey, what do you prefer? What do you like? And if they don't know, you can ask them questions. Do you like something a little sweet, not sweet, Would have you ever had a wine you do like? You you can answer these questions very quickly. Pick a wine. Next thing you know, they're opening a bottle and it creates a vibe. And now you're adding to the ethos of the restaurant because now you are drinking wine. You're not just sitting there drinking domestic light beer, which there's nothing wrong with. Because Papa Dom Caesar loves his Topa Chicos, his Lone Stars. Shout out Lone Star Light. Lone Star. Shout out uh, that entire company that brews Pearl, Lone Star, uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon, the blue-collar, hard-working American man's beer, okay? So it's also great for business meetings, as you would do with a date. When you're usually on a business meeting, you're courting customers, and you want to be able to grab the wine list, take control, and know what the table wants. Now, if you're a wine drinker, you know what you want, but when it comes to business, you want to know what the people want. This goes down to making a wine list or simply ordering a bottle for a table. Now, we got to figure out what you want, right? So, 
wine can come i would say when i went over the the, the popular red varietals cabernet when people go out they want pinot noir they want cabernet merlot malbec they know those names they're comfortable when they drink white wine they want chardonnay sauvignon blanc riesling or moscato or prosecco very very common white wines mostly because they know the name and once someone is familiar with the name of something they like it they usually don't like to deviate Uh, people are creatures of habit especially when it comes to their food and eating people are very particular Uh, unless you're very adventurous you consider yourself a foodie a food critic, a food connoisseur, most people don't venture out of what they know is safe. They go to the restaurant. There might be quail on the menu. There could be a type of fish they've never heard of. There could be a a pork dish prepared with interesting greens, with escalar, something. They don't understand what that is. They don't know what a tahini is. They don't understand what a gremolade is. They don't know what certain cheeses are. So they go with the chicken dish. They don't want to venture out. Same with wine. Most people don't want to venture out. Uh, People do the same with beer. You know, if they find they just like a cold, light beer, they will not venture out and do a Guinness, which they think is, they'll look at it and go, oh my God, you're drinking, you're drinking motor oil which Guinness is actually very lowly carbonated, uh, has less calories than a Bud Light and all the amino acids to create a complete protein. It's actually one of the healthiest beers you can have. It does not taste like motor oil. It tastes like two of the things that people love most, coffee and chocolate. But people don't know that because they don't like to venture out. So when it comes to wine, there's so many other varietals. But when you want to get down to brass tacks, what you like, you have to understand Vitis vinifera can only grow on certain parts of the world, on the northern and southern hemisphere, the 30 and 50th uh, latitudes of the northern and southern hemisphere. Now, this creates microclimates within this. And this is where Europe falls. This is where California, you can go about in the northern hemisphere, you can go about as north as Canada and as south as about Mexico. And you can do the same for Europe. If you can just follow that line, Oregon and Washington and parts of Canada line up perfectly with northern France. And when you look at the southern hemisphere, um, where you can grow grapes in Australia line up perfectly with a lot of the southern parts of South America. And those would be New World wines. Now, let's say you're getting into wine and you want you want something that people say sweet. Don't like using the word sweet. You will often hear the word fruit forward. Um... That is a term we like to use. Sweet is something when they actually add residual sugar in the winemaking process. And to be a winemaker, you are a farmer. That is your job. 
you are a farmer. Um, your whole everything depends on making this crop last. It costs millions, millions of dollars to grow a single acre of wine. And it is an extremely huge gamble because you're gambling on Mother Nature. So let's say you have a vineyard uh, between the 30th and 50th uh, degrees of latitude. And you're in a very nice place. Let's say like the like California, mid-California, the Sonoma coastline, maybe. And uh, you have great weather. You have sunshine. Uh, things are things are beautiful. Your crop is looking great, and all of a sudden, there's a thunderstorm. I'm gonna take this call. I'm actually a a podcasting right now about wine. I got a, I got a class to give later at work, but uh, I'm knocking out a little uh, wine podcast right now. Is it okay if I call you back after this? I got about, I'll call you, I'll call you about an hour. Okay. All right. Love you. Bye. It's one of my homies. One of my homies. All right. So let's say you have a perfect vineyard and, uh, all of a sudden the thunderstorm comes or hail comes or there's an earthquake in the middle of your harvest or before you've harvested and, your entire vineyard is ruined. Now, winds can do this. Rain can do this. Animals can do this. I've heard stories of where javelinas or hogs have gone through and literally eaten someone's entire crop overnight. I've heard stories of where um, earthquakes have come and just totally wrecked it. And you're done. Uh, fires. Now, God bless, and I hope everyone is with the people of California. My prayers go out to them. Whether you believe in a higher power or not, my prayers go out to them. A lot of people were devastated by that. In the wine world, they usually harvest their grapes in August. A lot of these California wildfires happen uh, after August, September, when the winds are kicking up and it's very dry. And this is going to which creates a lot of ash, which is actually beneficial to a lot of grape varietals. They like that. Now, you can have something uh, weather-wise happen like that and destroy whole crops. And you're out of your job for a year. All that money you invested in, now you're going to have to invest more money rebuilding. Rebuilding your structures, rebuilding your vineyards, um, having to trellis them. If you had certain grapes that needed to be trellised because they might be too bunched together, might get wet, might get fungus, or certain grape varietals that do that. So you have to be, you're gambling. You're gambling hard and heavy. And then you have things where the weather is so perfect that your clusters grow too well. And now what happens is your clusters are growing extremely large and now they're becoming diluted 
So let's go back to the basics of photosynthesis, right? So this grape, this, this, these leaves are going to gather the sunshine, right? In a warm climate, let's say like California, you're going to get lots of sunshine. This sunshine produces sugar. Now, when there's more sugar in the, in the varietal, in the warmer the climate, there's usually lower acidity and higher sugar. In a colder climate where you don't get as much sun, you get lower sugar and high acidity. Now, these things will make sense a little later. So let's say now you have a perfectly good, you have perfectly good weather, but now these clusters are growing out of control. And they're getting diluted with water. Your grapes are becoming bulbous. And if it's a very thin-skinned grape, they'll just pop. You'll have whole clusters just get destroyed because they cannot now take the water. The key, the number one key in making wine is stressing the grape to the max. You wouldn't think so. If I told you that, you would think you would want a very nice, easy-growing, lackadaisical climate where it's like, oh, yes, this is so many clusters. Uh, you want to stress it. In places like California where it gets so much sunshine and the grapes and all fruits grow great, the orchards, I mean, you got apples and pears and you, oranges, uh, you would think... That's a great thing, but for a grape, no. Not for Vitis vinifera. A lot of times in California, they cut the clusters off to so the vine itself concentrates all its sun and all its everything it's pulling from its roots into that one grape and that one cluster. That's why some of the most expensive wine in the world comes from the hardest places to grow it. Some of y'all are familiar with Champagne, France. Now, Champagne, France is essentially a desolate, frozen tundra, okay? It's extremely hard to grow grapes out there. Why would you do it? Why would you grow grapes out there? Because whatever grapes do survive a whole year, and in Champagne, they usually don't get a whole year harvest, okay? If they can survive that, you have an extremely concentrated, rich, flavorful grape that's going to go into a bottle and make a very delicious wine. When the grape has everything you need, you could say it's almost spoiled. If you, almost like a person, um, who's going to be better in the work field or the workforce? If you have someone that was, you know, let's say given everything in their life, they had the perfect temperature, the perfect climate. Um, they never, they don't build character. They don't build personality. They sit around, they may have had a very privileged life. They'd never had to really work for things They didn't pay attention in school they may have a lot of money, so people just automatically liked them. And it didn't make them create or grow a personality. Okay? When someone has a very stressful life 
or they came from really no means, uh, you work hard. You meet a lot of people and you create a personality. You're usually more a well-rounded and more rich in character person. Okay? That's the same way it is for grapes. When the grapes are given too much, they become diluted. There's not so much character. And those grape clusters get trimmed off and end up in jugs or in boxes of wine. The good wine comes from the ones that had it rough, that are growing on sides of mountains, that barely get sun, that um, go through go through extreme heat that go through extreme cold uh those are the those are the grapes that you want those are the friends that you want you want people that have good character who've been through a lot that that are working harder than you um that make you want to work harder and be better uh same same with grapes so you want to go to uh you want i especially like to find places where yes it is stressed or the wine the winemaker uh the farmer there's viticulture and viniculture vina with an n is the 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 farming process vita is the process where now you've already harvested the grapes and now you are blending it to make it taste the way you hopefully want it to now a lot of people will look on a bottle and they'll see a date. They might see 2017 is which right now we're currently on uh, for the newest wines that are coming out 2017. It's usually a two-year process. So the year on the bottle is not the year the wine came out. The year on the bottle is called the vintage, okay? The vintage is the year that the grapes were harvested okay so you can have um i'm going to use an example rioja which is in spain it's northeastern part of spain and rioja's it's a tempranillo grape which is a grape varietal very similar to a cabernet it's thicker skinned uh tad bit lighter but um cabernet can really grow anywhere sauvignon is span or Spanish? It's French for a savage. Cabernet Sauvignon can literally grow almost anywhere in the thirty and fiftieth uh, degrees of latitude. Uh, but Tempranillo Rioja is kind of known for aging their wine, so it could be two thousand nineteen, and you order a Tempranillo, you order a Rioja, it comes to the table, and the vintage will say. 2009 because the spanish part of a lot of their wine laws are certain wines have to be aged certain years in a certain amount in oak certain amount in stainless steel certain amount however so it wasn't that that wine was essentially made in 2009 has been sitting on a shelf for 10 years it means that wine was harvested in 2009 and it took 10 years for the winemaker, who's the vinter, to go, you know what? Now it's ready. Now we can release this to the distributors, and we can get this into restaurants. Now the only other exception, 
uh, would be NV, which means non-vintage. Non-vintage wines are very common in sparkling wines because they just will blend multiple years together. But it's most most important when it comes to good wines like champagne or wines that come from very hard growing regions. So like I said, in Champagne, France, it's very, very hard. You could have, uh, we just had, I think two years ago, a horrible Arctic blast go through and destroy all the vineyards. You're not going to have a vintage that year. So a lot of champagne will say NV on it. Uh, so it's non-vintage and it means it took multiple years of grapes used in this blend. Okay. I know that might sound a little confusing, but it just means in this bottle, not all the grapes were from 2008. Now I'm going to use 2008 as an example because 2008 was an amazing year in Champagne where it was almost perfect and they got full yields of a lot of crop. So when you're buying Champagne, a Champagne with an actual date on it, an actual vintage are very rare and extremely more expensive, extremely more. And the reason why wine is so expensive is you can already see how hard it is just to get the farming part down, just to get the vineyard part, getting it, growing it, harvesting it, and then getting it to a vintner. That's just step one. That's just step one. And it usually takes years just to get a vine mature enough to produce a decent tasting a varietal of Vitis vinifera. Now we're 30 minutes in. If you're still interested, thank you. I know this is not like most of the comedy and talking shit, but it's one of my passions and I want to do these more often. And I get a lot of people always asking me wine questions, so I do want to answer uh, as many as I can and make it, I don't know, Make it to where hopefully it's easy enough for you to understand. And if you take away anything, you might sound you might sound a little bit smarter when you're ordering your wine, right? So when it comes down to vintages, there are great years. Uh, and people who want to argue global warming or climate change or however you want to call it, uh, its effects, you can taste it. I don't care how much you want to try to argue with science or what's going on. It is a warmer period. We're definitely not helping it. And I personally know this just since I started studying wine, how I've tasted wines from colder climates tasting like they're from warmer climates. Why? Because now they are. There are climates in France that were known to be warmer especially in the southern Rhone Valley. Uh, you're very close to the Mediterranean Sea, and the Mediterranean Sea is warmer now. The, the ocean, the sea is heating up now, and it's causing grapes that didn't taste like they were from, like they, they were more toned down. They didn't have so much alcohol because in the fermentation process, like I said, more sunshine, more heat creates sugar. Well, when we get into the winemaking process, the yeast, 
which you can add yeast or there will be natural yeast that it that is in nature yeast eats sugar and shits out co2 heat and alcohol so three things that yeast does so when you have more sugar all of a sudden you have higher alcohol but it's usually less sweet it just matters how long you let that yeast eat that sugar if you wanted to, that yeast to sit in there and eat a lot of that sugar you're gonna have an a wine that's alcohol level is a lot higher than a colder climate. Now, I know climate change is real because I've drinking Grenache, Syrah, Morved blends, GSM blends from uh, Rhone. I've drinking Syrah. I've drinking Crow's Hermitage. I've drinking Syrah from Southern Rhone um, that were vintages 10 years ago that were spicy, lighter, a lower in alcohol, and now I've tasted ones that are almost, you know, where the lower alcohol was around 13%, and now they're reaching 15, 5, 16% alcohol wines. Since I've started studying wines, it was not normal, really not normal to see wines hit over 15.5% in alcohol. This year alone, uh, the the wines that are being released now, that should say vintage 2017 for the newest ones, I am seeing more alcohols with 16% alcohol content. That means either the winemaker is doing something screwy, which I don't respect. I, I, I respect people who use traditional techniques who don't like to add dye and add color. They would rather add grapes and blend it to get what they want instead of taking the cheap route to make a cheap wine sorry it's kind of early for me i need to drink my coffee right now i already took one phone call i don't think sipping coffee is gonna fucking make this for people who don't even like wine so much more boring because i wanted a podcast today and i wanted to talk about like badass cars and then people who buy them in like the shittiest colors possible. But no, we're going to talk about grapes. All right, so uh, now you got to figure out. So do you want something, do you like something that, uh, so anyone who doesn't believe in climate change can essentially go fuck themselves, dude. Okay, I can taste it. You can taste it. It's not lying. Um, there were very iconic wines in California that, and I will tell you this, if you want to make yourself look smart when you're looking at cabs or if you're buying Cabernets or something from California, 2013 was one of the best yields in California. Um, they argued 12 and 13. It was uh, a cooler year in California, and it produced some of the greatest wines uh, California's ever produced. Um, so if you ever want to sound cool... Uh, and you're looking at a wine list and you go, oh, 2013 California. You know, the bottle might be a little bit more expensive or they might have it on discount because they're trying to make room for new vintages. But go, oh, that was a great year. And if you're on a date or a business meal, they're going to go, oh, see, I told you, Frank knew his shit. That's all you got to say, okay? But it is true. And people go, well, Dominic, I've tasted wine. It all just tastes like sour grapes to me. It all just tastes like sour grapes. 
Well, first off, I'd like to say you probably had bad wine. And second off, you probably didn't know what you were looking for. When you're tasting wine, you it's like tasting beer. Let's say you've never tasted beer in your entire life. You would have no clue the difference between a Bud Light or a Guinness, right? You have no clue because you've never tried it. It's just beer to you. Let's say you've had a couple of beers and you know the difference between a light beer and a dark beer. And if someone was like, um, you're on a game show and they're like, which one is a light beer, dark beer, Bud Light or Guinness? You would go Bud Light. Now let's say you drink a little bit more and you would be able to go, okay, this is this is a lager. This is a light beer. This has got a, this is a little bit hoppier. This is a pale ale. Um, and this is a little darker. This is a stout. And then the more beer you drink, you get to a point to where you can go, this is a Bud Light. This is a Miller Light. This is a Michelob Ultra. And even though they're all super light beers, you have the palate for it. Wine is all about figuring out your palate. Once you figure out your palate, you can really dive deep. And once you figure out your palate, you'll find your varietal. So not all grapes taste like sour grape juice. You just haven't found one that made you go, oh, wow, I really like this. And people go, eh, it's just not for me. Like I said earlier, there's 5,000 different varietals. Okay, how many things have that many options? Okay, and essentially commercially you have 150 options, but that's a lot of options to choose from. There is, I I wholeheartedly believe that there is a wine out there for everyone. It might be an obscure varietal, it might be a popular varietal. It might be a popular varietal from an obscure area. It might be an obscure varietal from a popular area. But you will find something. You want to find a wine that smells like eucalyptus and mint and tastes like chocolate and and dark cherries and strawberries. It's out there. There is a varietal or a winemaker who's tried to make that. Now, why is wine all around the world? Uh, I'll just tell you first off, the Romans. Religion. It's not because people loved it so much. It's because everywhere Rome conquered, uh, they planted vineyards. Catholicism. I know they butt-fucked a lot of kids. They gave the Nazis money. Hid some Nazis in the Vatican. I'm not going to say the Catholic Church is perfect. But they did do one thing. And they, they planted vineyards all around the world. They needed it for sacrament. For church, they also needed it because Romans loved drinking wine and having these week-long orgies where they'd eat, drink, fuck, throw up, repeat. So you needed a lot of wine. Uh, wine goes back to even the biblical ages. Uh, it's been a part of human history forever. Um, and so you have to thank the Romans for dominating most of earth. And you can also, while you're at it, just thank the Italians for most of the things you enjoy in life. 
Um, um, I'm half Italian, half white trash, which essentially can be the same thing. But uh, you're welcome for the Renaissance. You're welcome for uh, us spreading grapes everywhere. So, Dominic, you know, all wine just tastes like sour grape juice. Okay. Well, have you ever had... What if you let's say you're not drinking just grape juice? What what juice do you like? Oh, you know I like soda. Okay, what soda do you like? Uh, Coca Cola. How about if I told you there was a wine out there that had notes of Coca Cola? Would you try it? There are. Now I like to tell people because a lot of people don't like big bold things when they start off drinking wine that's why they they secret a lot of people like to keep it secret They're like I like white wine which is normal uh, like I said earlier the thickness of skin creates what's called the tannin you might hear that term it's essentially how dry the wine is you can get tannin from oak the oak barrels you can get tannin from how thick the skins are people uh, gravitate to white wine first or very light skin red wines because they're lower in tannin they're not dry and they're easy to drink um, low tannin red wine definitely Pinot Noir Pinot Noir is one of those very very light skin grapes and it's a lot of people's entry grape but Pinot Noir is tricky because it's a very very hard um, grape to grow and it's very finicky because it's very light skin and it needs a very certain climate. I can see I've already rambled 45 minutes about this. So this will kind of be, well, this will be part one. This will be a part one of us getting into wine because I'll just talk a little bit more and then uh, I'll let y'all get back to your day or your drive or work. But Pinot Noir is a very finicky, light skin grape. And a lot of people will start with it because it's light and easy to drink, but it's also very complex. And a lot of people don't get that complexity, and it's very high in acid. Um, It's a colder climate grape. Like I said earlier, when it doesn't get a lot of sunshine, there's not a lot of sugar. So there's higher acid. It's lower in alcohol, and it's higher in acid. And so people go, well, you know, it's not dry, but it's just sour. It's not sour. It's called high acidity. And high acid is normal. Um, that That works with food. When you want to pair wine with food, usually people pair high acid wines with fatty food. Fat covers your tongue, right? And acid cuts through that fat, and it makes a harmonious balance and you can't a lot of old world mindset is you can't have dinner without wine everywhere in Europe you have to have wine with dinner they look at wine differently than a lot of the new world or Americans especially where we see wine as something to get drunk off of a lot of wine and I'm just going to keep picking on California um, is made to just drink just to get drunk off of. Um, But the wine that got me into wine was a Pinot Noir, but it came from a very special microclimate, which falls perfectly between Napa Valley and the Sonoma coastline. 
If you look at a map of California, we're talking pretty much right in the middle of California. And it was a Pinot Noir. Uh, it was very highly allocated, meaning they didn't, they don't make many. There was maybe just one or two vineyards that they grew it. And it, the vintage was 2013, like I said. Very phenomenal year for California. And it was from a little spot called the Russian River Valley. And the Russian River Valley was actually when the Russians were coming down. I don't want to get into too much world history, but that was kind of like the stop before the Russians could go any further south uh, along the California border. But the Russian River Valley is a very, very special growing microclimate within California, which falls within the 30th and 50th degrees of latitude, okay? Now, what makes it so special is, like I told you earlier, light-skinned grapes, they will burst. I mentioned earlier about if it gets too much sun and it's a light-skinned grape, it will pop and it will burst. Pinot Noir does not do well in heat. Pinot Noir does not do well uh, with a lot of sunshine. It loves it. And it starts creating all this sugar, and they explode. Now, when I said earlier, too, about a grape growing where you want it stressed, you may have heard the term terroir. And people like to throw that term around, ooh, I can taste the terroir. Terroir is French for taste of a place, all right? Taste of a place means a lot when it comes to wine because when you when you irrig when you irrigate a crop, okay. Some people use dry irrigation, and some people have irrigated farms. Irrigated farms, um, they don't stress the grape out because the grape doesn't have to worry about getting any kind of water. They know they're getting it. A grape that is dry irrigated. Its roots have to go deeper and deeper into the soil. And when it goes deeper in the soil, it goes through slate, limestone, different soil types. And when you really get in the wine, you understand these soil types and what slate, and you'll you'll taste it in the wine. One a very interesting fact is Alsace, France, which it just matters which end of the war we're talking about is either... French, it's it's either French or Germany. It just matters which war happened. Currently, it is France. Uh, besides Alsace, France having the most Michelin star restaurants, in Alsace, France, there are more soil types, more soil types in Alsace than there are in the entire country of France. So there <laughs> As much as I feel like I know about wine, I really know about 1% there is to know about wine. So, let's go to the Russian River Valley. And when you dry irrigate something, and they like to do this in the Russian River to stress the grapes out, um, an irrigated grapevine is about 8 to 10 feet long. It doesn't go much further into the ground because it doesn't need to. It's getting fed water. A dry irrigated vine will go almost 18 to 20 feet into the ground. And it will dig its way through rock, soil, whatever. 
to get the nutrients it needs, the vine needs, to just give its last life to these grapes. Because for these grapes, these seeds, it's trying to it's trying to continue its legacy. So it will it will go almost 18 feet in the ground, and you can taste that. Now Russian River Valley is a valley that connects the Sonoma coastline, which Sonoma, California, you have the Pacific Ocean, and then inland you have which I'm heard I'm sure most of y'all heard Napa Valley, which is a warmer, warmer uh pocket. And you have this valley that connects them. Now, what happens? Now we live in Texas, so we use ACs all the time. Uh sometimes even during the winter we have to use the AC. It's always hot here. Now what happens when you have the AC on and it's a hundred degrees outside? Right? You open up the door, your dad yells at you or your significant other, I got the EC on, why are you keeping the door open? Well, all the cold air is doing what? It's rushing, it's rushing outside, right? While all the warm air is rushing inside. This effect is occurring in the Russian River Valley in California. Now, the Russian River Valley uh, this microclimate, um, this region, it's called an AVA, American Viticultural um, Area. It's where every country has a different way of breaking up growing regions. Um, but the Russian River, I had my first, the wine that changed it for me. Because I was one of those people that goes, ah, oh, it's just sour grape juice. And uh, it was a very, very nice Pinot Noir, and a uh, guest let me try it, and I tasted it, and it blew my fucking mind. And I go, okay, this is why people spend money on it. This is why people spend their entire life studying it. This is why people collect it. This is it. So now what makes it unique is this Pinot Noir, which I said is hard to grow. And in the Russian River, you have sunshine all day, but you have, like I said, this AC effect where you have the Pacific Ocean and you have Napa Valley. And the Pacific Ocean has all this cold air rushing through the valley, rushing through, and it's hitting Napa. And it's trying to balance itself out. And Napa, all its warm air is rushing out towards the Pacific Ocean. This creates a heavy, dense fog, creates clouds. These clouds all day long from sunrise to sunset cover and shade these vineyards. Beautiful. If you've never seen what Russian River Valley looks like, Google it. It's one of the most beautiful places on earth besides, you know, Italy, Tuscany, you know any part of Italy um, because Italians do it better. Hashtag Italians do it better. So this Pinot Noir is able to get all the sunshine but still have a dense, thick layer of fog to where it doesn't get too much and it creates a perfect balance of sugar and acid. Once you have the perfect balance of sugar and acid, 
You have a wine that's going to sell. You have a wine that is delicious and tasty. What am I at? 56 minutes. Okay, guys. I know I've bored you so much, but hopefully with this wine rant, um, at least you know what a vintage is now. You can say, oh, that's not the year it came out. That was the year the grapes were picked. You kind of understand how climate works with wine. The warmer the climate, you know, the more alcohol there's going to be. The colder the climate, the more acidic it's going to be. Um, if you're at HEB or if you're not from Texas, if you're at your grocery market, uh, your grocer, if you're at a liquor store and you're looking just for a wine and you don't want something that tastes like sour grapes or high in acid, hopefully you know geography enough to know that, oh, this is a warm part. I would vacation here and, you know, probably go swimming, buy a wine from there. Um, right now I'm in love with Australia. I think Australia is making a lot of great wines. And if someone, uh, who's getting into wine just to enjoy it, if you like uh, wine with high alcohol, um, very, very big fruit flavors of blueberry and blackberry and dark cherries, uh, and it's not too tannic, I would go to Australia. Australia has many um, warmer parts, and you know it's a fucking desert out there for the most part. And there's, of course, a lot of varietals like Syrah, some people might be familiar with, or as the Australians like to call Shiraz, because not only do they not speak the Queen's English, uh, English, they just speak their own dialect or whatever the fuck it's called. So they like to call it Shiraz, and we let them get by with it because they're basically like America's drunk little brother. Um, even though, you know, they're kind of like, you know, Texas's drunk cousin, I think uh, Andy Texas once said. But if you want to get into wine, uh, I would definitely check out something from Australia, California. Go something with a warmer climate because you know you're going to get fruit and you know you're going to get less acid. You're going to get more fruit and less minerality. Um, if you are kind of familiar with wine and you want to kind of challenge yourself, look, um, find a varietal you like and try it from a different region. A Cabernet that's grown in Bordeaux, France is going to taste completely different than a Cabernet grown in Paso Robles, California. And that has to do a lot with the terroir. Why? Because it's the taste of the place, the climate and the ground it's grown in. Um, Bordeaux Cabernets love gravel especially in Graves which is a growing area in France in Bordeaux and the Cabernet tastes different because it takes a lot from the gravel it's going to be more mineralistic where you can go to Paso Robles California where there's a lot of clay in the soil and that's going to drastically change uh, the taste of the the Cabernet it's going to make it even softer and uh it's also warmer in Paso Robles, California than it is in Bordeaux, France. And you're going to get more fruit from something from California. So let's say you like Cabernet and you want to you wanna try something more complex with a little bit more earth, earthiness to it and some minerality. Um, try Cabernet from France. And right now, guys, uh, I got some more shit I got to do today. 
Um, but I'm going to leave you all with that. Thank you. This will just be a uh, part one of Winecast. I might do these, you know, maybe once a month, maybe once every two months. And I really want to, I'll go more in depth. And I think the longer that we do these uh, wine casts on Domcast, you know, maybe we can make some wine drinkers out of y'all. And feel free, send in questions. And next wine cast I'll do, I'll answer them. And I will get more into grape varietals. And I wish I could do today, but I can honestly talk about wine for hours. But I do not want to do a two and a half hour long wine podcast because I love wine, but I'd be tired of hearing people talk about wine for two hours, but I've done it. I've been to lectures that I've been to three hour fucking wine lectures. I've been to two day long wine lectures and trust me, I know that y'all don't want this uh, already. So, (laughs) and the ones that do, I hope you, you learned a little something from it as always. Um, and the most professional way when you go to a wine tasting is to spit. I would say 99.9% of all the professional sommeliers I've met, besides slowly drinking champagne throughout the day, they spit all their wine. Because really, you don't need to ingest it. Uh, but that is also one of the uh, better parts and why people like to do it in the first place. But the truth is always in the bottle. And price points don't really make a difference. It's really where it's from really makes the difference. You can peel the label off, and if you can tell me that this is a Chardonnay or Pinot Noir from Russian River Valley, um, I don't care if it's a $10 bottle or a 30 40 or like the Pinot Noir. I had a $300 bottle, which retails about 185 right now for this new vintage. Um, it, it doesn't matter. As long as you know the growing area, the climate, you're set and you kind of know what you're getting yourself into. So on the wine list, it will always say where it's from. It will say the wine, the producer, the name of the wine, the region or where it's from, and the grape varietal. So if you're on a date, you're at a business meal, you want something a lot of people like, you go with blends usually and then go for somewhere warmer. Okay, don't go to Burgundy, France, don't go to Champagne, don't go to the Loire Valley, you know, don't even go to Tuscany in Italy, you know, really start with California, start where it's warm, start where the people like to go hang out, and uh, start where it grows well, Um, and I also say start with Australia, it's some of my favorite stuff, their wine is very much like their people, this is very robust, it's very big, loud, and, um, it's great wine. Um, anyways, this has been Domcast. I know it's not your normal one, uh, but this is the first one for May. And thank you to everyone that gave me uh, birthday shout-outs. May the 4th be with you. It's my birthday. I had a great time with some friends. Uh, it was it was amazing. And um, I turned the dirty 30. Couldn't be happier doing it uh, with some of the best people I know at one of my favorite places to go. Uh, which I will not name, but uh, it was great. And thank you to everyone that was there with me and everyone that uh, wished me happy birthday. Thank you so much. That's why I didn't get a episode out week one, but I will still give you four episodes in the month of May, and I will see you next week, maybe with a special guest, maybe not, but I'll talk to you chachis later. One love. And remember, don't drink and drive. 
and uh, drink wine. Get out of your comfort zone. And it's okay to admit if you like white wine, okay? I, my favorite style of wine, are sparkling pink bubbles. There's nothing I like more than Brute Rosé. And if a guy who's tasted, and I have documented over 1,000 different wines that I've tasted, I've tasted more, and I'm very, very confident in my sexuality, I will walk around a wine tasting, a party, the bar, it doesn't matter, with sparkling pink bubbles, and no one can tell me shit. Why? Because it's what I like, dude. Sick of fuck yourself. All right, chachis. Love y'all. Talk to you later.